You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Torino. E sei soddisfatto della seconda settimana in generale come è andata? Ma guarda, io ti devo dire, mi aspettavo qualcosa di più. Honestly, I expected a bit more, but you can't blame the course. There should have been a bit more of a fight between the top riders. Let's hope it'll spark into life this week at least. Which is not to say there hasn't been hard racing. Yesterday, the day before yesterday, the average speeds, the heat, it'll all take its toll. Let's see how this last week goes. We saw Simon Yates come in very late this evening where he lost quite a lot of time on today's stage. I would suggest, and I've got no information to this effect, but an educated guess would be that he was taking it quite easy today in order to go on the attack tomorrow. Where are we, Lionel? We're in Torino, outside a little bar. I mean, I don't know the city at all. Never been here before. We're near the university, I guess, because it's something like the Bar dell'Università, Café dell'Università. Yeah. When I was scouting for a place for us to record, and there's, there's a few landmarks in Torino that helps you really know where you are. Superga being one of them, but also the older part where, you know, the must have been a time trial, not a prologue was last year, where we were recording, it must have been just around the corner, wouldn't it? We were, I think we were, Brian, but who do we hear from? First of all, we heard from Mauro Vegni, the race director of the Giro d'Italia, expressing his wish, his hope that the third week be a little bit more exciting than the second week of the Giro, expressing his disappointment. Um, I think he'd been listening to the podcast last night. Well, I was going to say, he was almost as disappointed as you about the lack of GC racing. Well, uh, I think Simon Yates may also have been listening because after me looking into my crystal ball yesterday and predicting that he would do something. I didn't say he was going to win the stage, but try something today. Sure enough, that's what he did. It was a very heated debate we had last night, wasn't it, over our Barolo and our Dolcetto on the beautiful terrace overlooking La Mora and the village of Barolo itself. It all got very heated. After we'd finished discussing the race and whether it had been exciting, boring, we also got into a bit of a heated deb- debate with our host. Well, it was more a heated monologue from our host Enzo Ghisolfi about the, the whole history of Italy <laughs> um, stretching back 2,000 years um, or predating the formation of Italy, but more of that later. Shall we get to the stage then, the tale of the tapper? Stage 14. Daniel, you got your wish. But actually, was it too much of a GC day? We'll discuss that in the podcast. It was stage 14 to Torino, as I said, only 147 kilometres. But with two circuits featuring the Superga and Maddalena climbs, it caused some real damage. Yesterday, the top 11 on GC was split by 1 minute 27. Tonight, the top 11 on GC is split by 9 minutes and 6. And that gives you an indication of just what the time gaps were it was it was the sort of time gaps you might expect to see on a you know real back-to-back five mountain stage of a grand tour in in fact you don't really see those gaps on those kind of stages because the racing is so much more controlled this was all-out aggression really from very very early on there was a really wild fight to get into the break the key break of the day featured 
a dozen of the sort of top 15 or so contenders overall and there were some significant names who missed it but tonight only four riders within 101 of the new pink jersey Richard Carapaz of Ineos Juan Pedro Lopez didn't give up without a significant fight though but he is now ninth at 404 He's held the pink jersey for Trek Segafredo since Mount Etna, of course. He's carried it the length of Italy, so no mean feat, but he has relinquished it now that we've reached virtually the most northern part of the race. Not quite, um, but Carapaz, well, he launched a long bid for a stage victory as well with around 28 and a half kilometres to go and was eventually joined after a fairly furious chase of 14 kilometres by Jai Hindley, who I thought looked absolutely exceptional on the climbs. Vincenzo Nibali and Simon Yates also made their way up there and it was Yates of Bike Exchange who attacked inside the final five kilometres to win the stage his sixth in the Giro d'Italia over not this year he's won two this year but his sixth over the course of his career in the Giro Hindley then outsprinted Carapaz and Nibali for second place they came in 15 seconds later then came Pozzovivo Almeida Lander and Bilbao, the Bahrain duo, were next. And then came Buchmann at 1 minute and 10. And then a big gap to Lopez. And after that, the gaps were huge. A couple of minutes, a couple more minutes, a couple of minutes. And then everybody else spread out over three quarters of an hour. Three non-starters today. Giacomo Nizzolo, Case Boll and Alexander Krieger. And one non-finisher. Significantly, Tom de Moulin of Jumbo Visma had pulled out with back pain. So, Carapaz in pink on the middle Saturday is that what it is stage 14 just as he was in 2019 but his advantage is much more slender this time just seven seconds Almeida's at 30 seconds Lander at 59 and Pozzovivo at 101 Damar still in the points jersey Rosa still in the king of the mountains and now Almeida well he's still in the white jersey but now he has it as of rights well, Daniel, one man who didn't have any plans today was our old friend Gianni Savio of the Drone Hopper team. Today, without formation, because uh, it's a stage uh, too much harder, so the riders must uh, control their condition and uh, see in the race uh, what uh, they can do. Gianni, today... The bomber is Gianni Savio because today is the Gianni Savio stage arriving in Torino. <laughs> yes, yes, I am happy because uh, here in uh, Turin there is the finish and uh, is near, near my house. Uh, but I think that uh, I hope <laughs> to have the possibility to win. But uh, I think uh, this uh, very, very, very Three time very difficult. Lionel, our Stuzzichini, our little snacks have just arrived, including some cubes of focaccia. Would you like me to order you a cappuccino? <laughs> no, thanks. Shall I, shall I dip it into my lager? Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. Find out all about their continuous glucose monitoring system at supersapiens.com. With the cubes of focaccia and a lovely Sicilian, no, Sardinian beer, and the adrenaline and stress of recording the podcast with you two chumps, I'm, <laughs> I'm due some kind of rush. 
Uh, but my question to Christina Scrocher of the University of Verona, who also works for Super Sapiens, is are all glucose rushes a bad thing? What's the purpose of them and what do they mean? Rushes depends, again, about the context and depends what actually caused that rush. So it's always different, of course, if, you know, we have this huge rush that's caused by exercise or it's caused by some extremely bad food that we're not used to eating. So it's, again, really, we need to put it into a context to be able to say this is good or this is bad. There are just some things that it's better to avoid in terms of having better recovery, better performance, in terms of having better overall health. And there are some other things that we want to promote and that we seek to find by our actions, there are fueling strategy, training, and everything that's regarding basically all the positive habits that we can have. Well, chaps, we said last night, or I said, that I was slightly disappointed by the second week thus far. And I was told by Brian that I was being, I don't know what kind of, pejorative derogatory insult you use but you said that I wasn't I wasn't appreciating the racing we'd seen and you possibly also said that I, I we would be rewarded said. we would be rewarded with great racing in the third week that was what Mara Venu said earlier on that the the heat would take its toll the fatigue up until now would take its toll and well I can't deny that today was an absolute rip snorter of a stage it was very similar to Napoli last week it was a circuit race in a in a way a bit like napoli last week but it was harder it wasn't actually that mountainous in terms of vertical meters of climbing off the top of my head today there were 3176 meters of climbing <laughs> yeah but in 140 what five kilometers yes. of racing yes but it just shows you you don't need necessarily need huge huge climbs but it seemed to me today that not so much that teams were impatient but they felt that the time had come and they couldn't wait any longer and certainly that was the case with Bora who put on a tremendous show and then in parallel to that you had Simon Yates who as we said yesterday has well he's given himself a few days to recover from whatever knee pain was troubling him and he was always going to be dangerous today because you had the possibility that there would be a small group and they would all mark each other but the one guy they wouldn't mark would be the guy who doesn't pose any threat on general classification anymore and that's Simon Yates. I'm not going to uh, reveal my source but on my way to where we're recording now I I spoke to a, a friend I have who works in, in the RCS organisation fairly high up and we were just chit-chatting about the race you know it's, hard not to be completely blown away by the action and sort of just the shake-up in the GC and yeah, just call it probably by far the best stage so far this year and he said basically the same thing as you just to support your, your point about it not being that interesting up until now he said we need more state we need more stages like this they don't have to be 200 kilometers short you know re- hard concentrated racing is, is great for the entertainment but one thing that, that, that comes to mind also is, and that's not just, I'm not trying to defend myself here, but it would have taken st- stages like we've had, like two mountain stages already, for the people to really get dropped on a stage like today. No one goes into that stage with this type of weather, so warm, with fresh legs. Only that like, the people who can potentially contend for GC will be up at the front of this type of race, as we saw, m- minus Yates, but you normally would have been a contender for the GC. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that last Saturday in Napoli and today in Torino, 
the stages have been on these circuits. It's brought the crowds out very well. The crowds today were fantastic. Everyone gets a couple of chances to see the race. And clever scheduling, I think, that by uh, Mauro Vigny and the team. I was going to come on to this later, but one thing that you have to acknowledge about this year's Giro and what RCS have done this year, and I don't know how deliberate this is, I don't know whether this is an attempt to whip up some excitement among the Italians in the absence of any great Italian stars, although we saw a resurgent Vincenzo Nibali today, but they've taken the race finishes right into some big cities, which is not an easy thing to do. We've gone right into the middle of Messina, of Naples, Reggio Emilia, Genova, Cuneo and Torino and we've been discussing haven't we chaps over the last couple of days that that is a rare thing now in the Tour de France certainly in Cuneo and Genova and probably today as well I had the impression that there were a lot of people at the finish who weren't necessarily bike fans but they were curious and they got swept along with the show and it was helped today by the fact that there was an Italian and a, a, a well-known Italian and a recognisable name who was at the front Vincenzo Nibali also it's a circuit race I'm a huge we obviously can't make every stage in a Grand Tour circuit race, but when you when you actually do go through the logistics and all regulations and talking to the local council and whatever to finish in a big city, you might as well give the spectators a little bit more bang for the buck. So you know, a circuit like this, you know, including Superga, brilliant racing, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, those climbs are hard, aren't they? It's not necessarily the length or the altitude gain, but they are steep in places. And also, not a lot of descending, oddly. Once they're up there, they kind of come down a little bit, but then they're climbing again straight away. So it was hard to, um, certainly hard to get away, hard to chase on. And it's no real surprise that other than the front sort of, the, the dozen or so is a kind of a, a, a baker's dozen or so, not quite 12, maybe a few more. Other than that, everybody else just basically, I'm not going to say rolled in because they certainly didn't roll in, but they gave up the ghost because there was no way back once those time gaps started opening up. Uh, I think Rod Ellingworth said at the finish that, uh, you know, there were there were riders with really, but there was groups with really strong riders in that had lost 12, 15 minutes before they even got to that second bit round, uh, round the final two climbs. Yeah, and I mean, that analysis also supports the fact that we, you know, we've known that Ineos comes into this race with the strongest team, but Carapaz was alone. I think that says a lot about how hard the final was today. Yeah, we'll maybe discuss that later, how much of that was legs and how much positioning. I have the suspicion that some of it was positioning because uh, Matthew van der Poel went almost from the gun today and I think the race was, was strung out almost from the gun uh, and it was pretty hard to move up once you were in the last 50 or so riders and that was the case with some pretty big fish, I think. So what about the stage winner, Simon Yates? Because very disappointing almost a week ago at Blockhouse where he lost all of that time. He had one fan who still thought he could win the Giro, if you remember, but uh, not a lot of evidence to support that. No evidence to support that, of course. And as we said earlier in the week, the, the suspicion was, or the speculation was, that maybe Bike Exchange would cut their losses and save Simon Yates for another go at the Tour de France. But completely contrary to that he's come out fighting he was aggressive a few days ago and today I know he was helped by the fact that he was the only one in that group really that no one had to pay any attention to nevertheless he still had to get into that group get back up to the front when he'd been distanced and then make the move at the right time impressive look should we hear from Matt White well Matt a fantastic win from Simon I can't say it's unexpected simply because when we saw him come in 
a bit behind the peloton yesterday. We thought this might be in the works. Was that the case? We had a, we had a plan, that's for sure. And the plan is obviously not to climb back into general classification. And for us, winning is more important. We didn't come here to finish seventh in the, in the Giro. After we had to reset our goals there, and that's about winning and uh, one box tick today. There were lots of places where he looked like he could be cut out of contention today and he had to stay patient, I guess. I mean, there were times when he was dropped, attacks were going. I mean, was that in the name of the game, patience, or was, that, was he simply struggling at those points? No, 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 it's definitely patience. Uh, he knows his limits. A lot of people, well, some people criticise where he rides in position-wise, but he, he knows how to get the best out of himself. And that's by not going with every single acceleration there was. So at the end of the day, he won because he rode very, very smart. He rode very, very smart. And also he had nothing to lose. Now you got, it depends how you look at it, the situation, isn't it? He was the only guy there not on general classification. If we don't win today, we can try again tomorrow. Those, the battle of GC has to happen every day. Someone who's got nothing to lose is very, very dangerous. And that final attack, just talk to me a bit about the timing of that. Um, was that you? Was that Simon? Was that intuition? No, that was definitely intuition. Now, he, he knew the course. He knew how tricky the descent was. And he knew that if, uh, if anyone could get any kind of gap on for that final descent, if there was any kind of hesitation, he was, like, he was no risk to those guys for general classification. If it was a Carapata or Almeida, those guys are fighting for the pink jersey to take that today. So he, he had the choice to make, uh, and he made a very, very tactical, astute decision to attack when he did. Now, Matt, it looks like a genius decision to keep him in the race. And um, there was a bit of, well, speculation about whether you would or you wouldn't and sort of cut your losses, go to the Tour de France. Just talk to me a little bit about the thought process behind him staying here. Firstly, based on medical. You know, obviously, when anyone has an injury, the medical team has, a, has the number one say in that. Uh, if, if there was an injury to Simon that would have damaged his next month, then it would have been an easy decision to go home. Under advice from our medical team, we kept him in the, in the bike race, gave him some time to recover and some easier stages, and then uh, we went from there. Has he been Has it been difficult to pick him up this week, or was that a natural process that he came around? No, it's a natural process there. Everyone's disappointed when we came in here with very big expectations and very big goals. So yeah, he was. of course he was disappointed. He's put a lot of effort in, a lot of sacrifice to get into the condition that he, that he is in. But what it's shown today is that his condition hasn't gone anywhere and that just the knee injury, limited period of the race to him to perform at his best. Now, I still don't think he's at 100%, which is a frightening thing because <laughs> we've still got a lot of mountain status to go. You're an impartial observer. Based on today, who's going to win the Giro? You can throw a blanket over still a few guys. It's a Giro. So even guys who lost 30, 40 seconds, that in the grand scheme of things, that's not so big. That's not so big. You know, that's, that's a bad time trial on the last day even. Jai, Carapaz, especially show that they were very, very strong today. But uh, we're a big chunk of this Giro in, but uh, we haven't really started the big, big climbs, which we know are coming. Brian, you made the point about Ineos Grenadiers only getting Richard Carapaz into that front group. I suppose if they were only going to get one rider in there, he was the one, not one they want up there because he's now in the pink jersey. But it struck me that Bora Hansgrohe played an absolute blinder today. They got three of their men into that move, Jai Hindley, Emmanuel Buchmann and Wilco Kelderman. And although Kelderman faded at the end and lost a bit more time, quite a bit more time on the run-in, the numbers would have helped give Hindley that sense of security and the confidence maybe to take a risk which is what he did he was patient though wasn't he he didn't he didn't rush he didn't react to Carapaz he didn't take up the chase until the gap came down a little bit and he knew that uh, he'd be able to 
accelerate and jump across and make it across in a, a short enough period of time because if, if that had taken another four or five kilometers to bridge that gap he might have run out of steam a bit and found himself in trouble but perfectly judged and it's paid off because he's now in a very very good position yes Lionel, i was watching that almost anticipating the reaction when they didn't win the stage. I mean, can you remember the stage of the Côte de la Loz in the Tour de France a couple of years ago when Barre Merida took it on all day and Mikel Lander didn't attack or couldn't attack in the end and everyone ridiculed Bahrain, uh, victorious Bahrain Merida for, for what they'd done and always sort of loathe to indulge in that Monday morning quarterback sort of um, analysis because you know you have to try and without gambling you you simply don't know but also this comes back to a point we've made quite frequently in the last few months about always looking at a race only in terms of winning or losing and not in terms of finishing second third fourth because let's face it um, second and third fourth even would be great results for Jai Hindley and they've really thinned out the general classification today even even if Richard Carapaz had gone on to win by 20 seconds and they would have been criticized then they would have been I don't know if they'd have been ridiculed but people would have said it hadn't worked but they got rid of a lot of guys today well their objective is to finish on the podium in a grand tour the, the team has never done that for all that they've won a lot of big races obviously they had the Peter Sagan years they weren't going to get on the podium of Grand Tour with Sagan they've got a very different feel to the team and it's a relatively young group Hindley and Kelderman of course were the duo in the lockdown duo weren't they um, beaten at the end in the time trial by Theo Gagan Hart of uh, Ineos were they going for the stage win at all today or were they going to keep a very very strong GC fight alive they might not necessarily be thinking in terms of winning the Giro of course they would love to win the Giro but if Carapaz turns out not to be beatable second or third place for Hindley would be an excellent result not just for him but for the team and so I think they they rode very very smartly they didn't blow up their chances by being rash or you know make too many risks especially when you weigh up the difficulty of tomorrow's stage because that's a totally different type of climbing and that could catch a few people out the change between the punchy accelerations today and the more gradual considered grand tour climbing tomorrow without further ado Lionel should we hear from their direct sportifs the architects really of what they managed to put into action today Jens Zemka and Enrico Gasparotto yeah I must uh, give the flowers to my <laughs> to my colleague Enrico Gasparotto, he came up with this idea. We discussed it long. So we were thinking in days already, and we also made the recon a couple of weeks ago. So we know how technical and how dramatic this stage could be, how technical the descents, how steep the climbs. And yeah, we thought uh, today is a day where we can change something, because if you always wait for the for the sky style, yeah, when Ineos riding tempo and we have to hang on, hang on, hang on. So today was a day where we really could make a difference and that's what we did, yeah. We came up with this idea, the boys were, yeah, finally were convinced, yeah, were, were ready for it and then standing behind their idea. And then it was planned from, from the beginning, yeah, like having somebody in the early breaks, bringing him back, then Wilco doing an amazing job, yeah. Then also the lead out into the Superga, and yeah, we didn't expect that the group is so small when we went into Superga the first time. 
that uh, Carapaz was already isolated and yeah we continued we continued our way we continued our strategy we know that Carapaz will attack yeah finally it was a super outcome for us it's a big risk to do something like that isn't it because if Carapaz wins by a minute which he could have done everyone says Bora was stupid yeah it's true it's it was a big risk but I think if we always wait 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 and then uh, you come to the timeline, Merona, and uh, the Giro is nearly over, yeah? So I think we should try today. We Also, the boys gained confidence because they see that they are able to do something like that, so like a team action, and that helps also for the team, yeah? What do you expect tomorrow? We've got these three big climbs in the second half yeah. of the stage. What kind of race do you think we'll see? Complete uh, other characteristic of a climbing stage today we had of course also the elevation meters but it was short climbs always steep technical downhills yeah though hard to control tomorrow is a stage where you can ride this steady speed and that suits our climbers normally better yeah like Emmanuel like also Wilco like Jai they they love this to ride 20 kilometers uphill and uh, in the high altitude so we we were forcing them today to not losing time to make them sharp to to gain confidence and i think plan worked out so for the moment i mean we have still five super hard stages to go but for the moment we are super happy and it goes in the in a nice direction for us Today was an incredible job, but the plan was to try to gain seconds to the time trialist like Almeida and the plan was to try to isolate a little bit a few riders and this is what actually we could do. The plan with Jai was all about the last climb, but eventually also the second last Superga, but we were more focused on the last climb. Were you worried when Carapaz went away? Did you urge Jai to just be patient? It was his own decision to not follow Carapaz, but I have to say that it was the right decision. What I could do from the car is just telling to, the, to them, uh, Emu was still in the, Bookman was still in the band, in the group, to, to keep riding together. And they did perfectly, because anyway, Landa is here for winning the Giro, Almeida is here winning, for winning the Giro, and he knows Almeida that he has the third week normally, last few years was pretty good and solid, and he has the time trial as well. If you're riding for winning, then you have to pull. And then it was pretty clear, and then that's why they could uh, keep Carapaz under control, under the radar. And then he rode extremely well on the last climb, didn't he? I mean, he looked the best of the, well, he looked the best of all of them. Yeah, Jai is uh, is performing. He's been pretty solid all the year this year. He could uh, avoid any setback except one before Liegi, so we were pretty scared at the beginning of the Giro that it could affect him a lot, but what he could show on Blockhouse uh, was already a good signal. And he's so solid, so calm in the, in the race situation where everything exploded, that, that means that he has the legs, and that's uh, you know, the basic to keep on fighting. Shoot, shoot at the du peloton, cycling podcast, Team Car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Talk, to remind me to tell you about our clothing collaboration with Matt, the Melbourne-based company. Well, they were founded in Melbourne, but they're global now. And later on this summer, we will be unveiling a collaboration with Matt. Really looking forward to sharing the details with that. Daniel and I have got some Matt casual clothing, T-shirts, 
sweatshirts, that kind of thing. And I've been wearing the MAP cycling kit, which is tremendous stuff. We met up with Jared Smith, one of the founders of MAP, in Sicily towards the beginning of the Giro. And I spoke to him about a lot of things. But let's hear about what it was that he really wanted to create. He wanted to create one garment that was stylish but also a top quality item to kick off the map journey. My background was a bit of design and creativity and the technical side of putting together the garments. Probably from my racing side of wearing Lycra and knowing a lot of the professionals and riding with them really helped guide me in knowing what a high level performance cyclist needed like you know the matching leg warmers to the arm warmers just really good quality bibs and I think in the beginning I really wanted to have the world's best bib because we really need to have an outstanding bib so that was probably the first thing going back and forth to Italy on was just really perfecting our bib to this day we've still got the prototype from that first bib that we created and and then the fashion element came you know with the tops you know being able to do multiple types of applications on jerseys and Eventually we got into dyeing fabrics and creating the different colours that we've got to t- today. Sì, sono soddisfatto, cercavo un po' la vittoria di tappa, però sapevo che era anche un po' difficile. Ero controllata pista perché chiaramente a bit of the atmosphere there from the finish line and you also heard Vincenzo Nibali's voice he was pretty happy with how things had gone today he looked incredibly sprightly didn't he he's pedaling smoothly at the moment in great form has moved up on general classification to where Lionel? 8th place 8th place on general classification 258 down and if you think back to when he won the Giro the last time he wasn't that yeah it's about where he was on GC much deeper into the race I mean you can never rule out the shark well there were moments <laughs> today when I was reminded of Alberto Contador's last Vuelta I mean only in so much as he's the home favourite and every attack every pedal stroke almost is cheered to the echo it certainly was at the finish line today as you could hear there I mean to be honest as I said I think a few days ago I think a lot of casual Italian fans know only know one cyclist and it's Vincenzo Nibli it's sad but true the era of the passionate tifosi and you know the Italians being the most, most knowledgeable cycling fans in the world if ever they were those days have certainly passed I think Nibali hasn't been attacking every day like Contador did in 2017 but it's certainly shaping up to be a terrific swan swan song isn't it shark song swan song he's got to win a stage though hasn't he over the the remainder of the race Vincenzo, if you're listening tonight, Lionel Bernie says you must win a stage. Grandpa Shark. Or else. (laughs) Wow. I mean, you know, the the finest farewell. That would be the finest farewell, wouldn't it? I mean, that's got to be the, the thing that's motivating him, surely. But how many cherries do you need and how many cakes? I mean, the cherry on the cake was already the, the stage when the Giro di Sicilia. Yeah, it would be a great moment, wouldn't it? It would be a lovely moment if he did do that, but it's not going to change his legacy. He's already performed above my expectations in this Giro. He did a really good time trial in Hungary. And the, the fact that he was up there today, I think it says a lot of that about his, his current shape. Tomorrow, I think a lot of riders, uh, Nibali might or might not be one of them, 
tomorrow a lot of riders will be paid will be paying for the effort today even the ones that weren't part of the action even if it was only a dozen of them up the road there'll still be a lot of riders will be paying a price for sure so he doesn't have to win a stage then Ign- ignore me <laughs> <laughs> but he's still the best rider of his generation you know it would, it would just be a beautiful bookend is what you mean right it would mean an awful lot to RCS Sport the Giro director the Giro organisers and the Giro director Marovini You can tell we're, you can tell we're in a, uh, an Italian city. All the mopeds. There was a, a couple in a in a Fiat 500 here, just uh, gesticulating and arguing about who who was directing and who was uh, you know navigating rather than who's driving. It's a bit like us when we well, going to the state start, isn't it? To, I was going to say, but you know, I'll keep that Chance, under wraps. Finally, the end of the road today for Juanpe Lopez in the pink jersey. Ten days, a long old stint in the pink jersey. He fought manfully, didn't he? He was very determined, very gritty today. He was sort of yo-yoing off the back of the, the back of the lead bunch. Looked at one point as though he might just hang on, cling on by his fingernails. That wasn't the case. However, at the finish, I spoke to his team manager, Luca Guercilena, who paid tribute to Juanpe Lopez's fighting spirit and also talks about his objectives for the rest of the race. Well, Luca, it's been a great week for you. I've lost count of the days. Was it nine or ten days in the end? And Juanpe really fought today, didn't he? Um, just a, a word on his performance today. Well, I think he proved that he was a great fighter and uh, probably a bit of experience issue, let's say, because clearly when he replied first time on Carapaz and, uh, and in the attack, he, he lost enough energy probably. With a more conservative race, he could have been a bit more in front, but I think I said 10 days in pink is a, a way uh, more than we expected. What is important is what, what he learned today more than what uh, we have lost. And we are very happy and now, OK, we can try to keep him up there in the top 10 and then again try to focus on uh, stage victories. Based on what you saw today, who's going to win the Giro? <laughs> Good question. Well, I guess still Carapaz is my favourite at this point. Inlay proved that he's super good. But we have to see also tomorrow how it goes because today the stage was really crazy fast and riders will be very tired and with the heat and so on. So tomorrow evening probably we will know really more about who is going to win. Ten days, Daniel, and Trek still couldn't sort him out a pink bike. I mean... But he got ten boxes of Intimissimi underwear, which is, <laughs> I learned the other day, is what the white jersey holder is given every night. I don't know if they're pink or... So why, would you wear pink boxer shorts? Yeah, why not? Maybe, I don't know what, exactly what is in the box. I think he did reveal this in a press conference earlier in the Giro. There were definitely boxer shorts. I think there were some socks. I'm not sure whether there was a thong or anything a little bit more. <laughs> so hang on, <laughs> hang on. I'm racing. pretty sure there wasn't, but go well, on. Well, intimis me do some, do some fairly um, racy men's racy underwear, pieces, do they? Yeah. Well, so the wearer or winner holder of the white jersey gets some boxer shorts. But as we know, Lopez wasn't wearing the jersey because he was in pink. But the 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 pants didn't pass to Joao Almeida, who was wearing the white jersey. Does that mean he was riding commando? He got a silk negligee. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, it was very hot. You you would probably have done. You would probably have been well served by a silk negligee. I'm not sure if the silk negligees are warm or not. But um, it was certainly very hot out there today, wasn't it? A lot of talk about the heat, hydration. Uh, Ineos Grenadiers are always very much across, as they probably say, these things. They've got a lot of staff, a lot of resources, they've a lot got of their know-how. Own, they've got their own weather forecast, haven't they? 
from there. In the, in the team hotel in the morning, pulls out a big map of Italy and a pointer and talks about which and direction. Then, and then it says, hot here. <laughs> well, Lionel, should we hear from their weather forecaster? No, let's hear from Rod Ellingworth, who just talked about the heat and what Ineos had done to try to combat it today. Well, we just tried to put as many people out there as we could, you know, so we even took staff from the hotel to be... The people doing hotel, hotel, you know, not as many people there as normally to help them set up. But we, we, we thought we'd invest in the time it, you know, here with out on the course, which was important. So, um, yeah, we just put people everywhere, to be honest. Well, one of the stories that our colleagues broke or, or uh, wrote a couple of days ago was this suggestion that Mauro Venni is very keen to move the Giro start date in 2023 and start the race a week later. The predominant reason for that being to avoid bad weather in the mountains. Now, a bit of rain is apparently forecast next week, so we might see some badder, badder weather, worse weather in the mountains. But we have seen Giro stages shortened, altered, passes cut out because of the weather. Moving it a week later, in theory, would mean better conditions in the mountains. doesn't guarantee anything, of course. But, of course, it would also shorten the gap between the end of the Giro and the start of the Tour de France, which would make a significant difference to the riders. Well, the one thing that occurred to me was, medium to long term, I think the three Grand Tour organisers will be fighting each other to not have the high summer slots, because the way the climate's going, we could be experiencing... Well, if the, if the Tour de France is sort of high 30s, and the welter into the 40s, which it could very well be if we have a very hot summer, uh, the conditions become very uncomfortable for the riders. This is certainly the hottest I've ever known the Giro in the years we've been covering it daily or even uh, the years when I've come over for the odd day, the odd week here and there. It's extraordinary, isn't it, the weather? Yeah, we were talking to our host last night. He's a farmer, actually, you know, a wine grower. And it's a problem everywhere. I think still, you know, if you balance it up, you know, now we're looking at the forecast. It's, it's going to be pretty poor, the weather, potentially next week. So, you know, it's, it, it'll balance out. I think the weather, in that sense, will have an influence on the race as well. There'll be a lot of slippery descents coming into the final week. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport. You can get 25% off all of Science and Sport's products at scienceinsport.com with the discount code SISCP25. There was a moment when Richard Carapaz was just coming down one of the little descents and he had an SIS gel. He took it out of his pocket and he held it in his mouth while the camera was filming him. And I wondered whether he was... whether right, uh, you're, you're, you're picking some gestures up there, Lionel. I like it. <laughs> they're not the right ones, but they're definitely <laughs> gestures. Well... I did wonder whether Carapaz was going to, I don't know, shout out a discount code for Sanchez Sport <laughs> as he was going down the descent. But he didn't, he didn't have time. He was too busy focused on the race. But our discount code for 25% off Science and Sports products is SISCP25. E ha ceduto Nizza, ma ha ceduto Nizza proprio perché c'è nato Garibaldi, perché è uno stronzo. Perché, <ride> perché? perché lui ce l'aveva, perché Garibaldi non era un realista. Well, chaps, that was old Enzo again. Enzo Ghisolfi from Cascina Pugnane in well, between Barolo and La Mora, wasn't it? Where we stayed last night. Brian and we had a very enjoyable evening on his terrace didn't we uh, admiring observing looking out over those two villages and um, Enzo not a big fan of Camilo Cavour 
one of the founding fathers of modern Italy, modern unified Italy, but he was, uh, well, I'm not going to use the word and I'm not even going to translate it either. Um, it wasn't complimentary. No, and um, Garibaldi was mentioned there and the fact that Garibaldi was born in Nice and they gave, the, they gave Nice back to the, to the French, which was heresy. Um, yeah, it got it got very intricate and very interesting last night, didn't it? We talked about wine, we talked about history, we talked about we talked a little bit about cycling, we talked about chocolate. Chocolate does chocolate go with wine? A hundred percent. What is it? A hundred percent cocoa content. Yeah, we had some of that. Where was that from? Uganda or Ecuador? He had a whole yeah. panoply of different Madagascar types of chocolate from various Madagascar parts of the world, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there wasn't any. wasn't there wasn't even like an Ecuadorian one. There was. There was. They went from about seventy percent to a hundred percent. Yeah. Cacao. If you ask me, and I, I haven't heard you do that, they don't go well together. But I mean, there is a lot of tannin in the wine that that Enzo makes. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the wine, and it was actually quite convenient because he he did go on a rampage about <laughs> you know the founders of modern Italy. But then when we said, oh, could we see your cantina where you make your wine, you know, it was a good way to change the subject. <laughs> there was no rosé drunk last night, was there? There was no pink wine. I think Richard Carapaz will be toasting his leader's jersey with some... There's not a lot of pink wine he's drunk in Italy, actually, so there isn't really a famous rosé. Maybe a kind of Asti. Asti's not far from here, a kind of pink spumante. Yeah, I don't, nothing that we should delve into, I think. Will he, be, will he be feeling comfortable tonight with what he saw, what he did today? Um, it was an interesting move, wasn't it, um, that Carapaz made with no one behind. He was on his own. He was isolated. He does look like the strongest rider in the race, but he will not be too comfortable when he thinks of what Bora Hansgrohe did today. Especially the fact that Buchmann, Buchmann looked like he might be cut out of things at one point, but he came back and limited his losses and and we heard Jens Zemke earlier the Bora Hansgrohe direct sportive say that the climbs from here on in and certainly tomorrow will suit the Bora riders Jai Hindley um, Wilco Kedman although Wilco Kedman told us a few days ago he didn't think he was going well on the long climbs and Emmanuel Buchmann whereas today we had some punchy climbs it reminded me a little bit of the Olympic road race circuit where Carapaz won actually and the, the, the manner of his attack 30 kilometers from the finish it was it was quite similar well it was a really violent attack wasn't it without the saddle on the drops um, putting a lot into it and when he weighs up the fact that they came back gradually admittedly but they came back eliminated the gains that he'd made and tonight he's in the pink but only by seven seconds which is nothing is it? I mean, that could be wiped out in a couple of time bonuses if everyone came together at the finish and and um, somebody picked him on the line. So Yeah, and also he has to keep in mind that there's a time trial finish of this year's Giro d'Italia and it's not, you know, it's not a strong... So there are definitely people who are breathing down his neck who are better at that. So he, he needs to gain time significantly to, to have a, a way, way more comfortable cushion if he wants to win the race, which I'm yeah. sure he does. When you think back to last year, Egan Bernal, mm. it was quite nip and tuck, and then he just opened up and stretched the lead, stretched the lead, stretched the lead. You could see Carapaz doing that, to be fair, couldn't you? You could yeah. see him gaining a significant chunk of time on a couple of the finishes early next, well, maybe even tomorrow, but, you know, tomorrow and then one of the early ones next week, and then suddenly it's out of reach for the others. But the gaps are not significant enough 
for him to breathe and sit comfortably at the moment. Well, also, if you compare to how Bernal went about winning the Giro last year, he tried to gain a lot of time early on, mm. and then he actually had a, a little bit of a so-so last week. And this is the opposite way around with Carapaz. He's going to try and basically gain and gain and gain and to have that margin that will make him feel safe in Verona. Tomorrow is going to be a completely different race though, the kind of race we haven't seen so far in the Giro. We've had the summit finishes at Etnam Blockhouse, but tomorrow we've got three decent sized climbs. We've got a 12 kilometer climb, a 16 kilometer climb and a 22 kilometer climb. <laughs> They're not particularly high in the Val d'Aosta there. Um, the first one, Pilat Les Fleurs. We always struggle with the pronunciation when we get the Val d'Aosta. We never know whether we should use a French accent or an Italian accent. Veronia, that's in the Val d'Aosta as well. 1582 meters above sea level and the climb to Cogne feels a bit more like a false flat in places but it is long 22 kilometers to go there might be some wind as well but it as I say it's quite distinct quite different from what everyone has faced so far and I think it will be hot again tomorrow yeah. and after a very tough day exactly today, exactly now it's really starting to show that it's the stage race like I said earlier a lot of people will be paying a big price for today Lionel Yes, you're Daniel. off this evening. I am. This is it. This is my farewell. I'm. I'm doing. You're abandoning the Jira. I'm abandoning. Yeah, I'll be a did not start. Tom Dumoulin tomorrow. style. Yeah, no, no pain, no back pain, fortunately for me. Um, but no, that's it. As planned. Always, always part of the plan. This Daniel wasn't it that I would do the first 14 stages, and then you and Brian would see it through to Verona. So Brian, yeah, Brian and I would burn through the last of the budget on the last week. Well, I'll be. Uh, I mean. I mean, let's not go into um, how much budget you've got to play with this week, Daniel, but you, you're, you've been paid in advance to get you through. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you some serious, careful budgeting. I mean, I made Enzo's weekend this yes, morning, so my money is yeah, gone. Yeah, I haven't spoken about <laughs> that, that yet, but we will later. Lionel, any highlights over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, loads of highlights. I really enjoyed Hungary. I thought it was a fascinating place to visit. Uh, Budapest was absolutely beautiful. Um, I felt like I understood the city a little bit more and like lots of cities, you know, you, you hear the headlines, you, you think about the politics, you read about the politics, but then when you get there, it's just people living their lives, isn't it? You know, living, working, socialising, the bars were busy, the restaurants were good, a very interesting experience. And then Sicily, I grow to love more and more each time. I, I take the rough with the smooth, but there's so much to love about Sicily. Uh, you're shaking you know, your head. To be contra- you say that just to be contrary, <laughs> just to make me grimace. No, not really. You know, not really, I, not really. Partly, you know, I'm with. Partly. You know, I'm with Lionel on that one. And then I've really enjoyed the the journey up through uh, Italy, seeing some slightly different places, but also some familiar places. I thought the best stage until today was the one to Blockhouse. I thought that was an underappreciated classic because I thought the racing itself was really interesting. Okay, it wasn't necessarily fireworks but it it was aggressive there was intrigue to it but today's stage was uh, an absolute as you said a humdinger firecracker whatever rip snorter rip snorter but in terms of the gc it has been uh, a, a slow burn for 14 days hasn't it until today and and perhaps um, slightly too much has to decided today. And for all the cat calls that I got on the podcast from you two, I actually got some mess- some supportive messages this morning from podcast listeners, illustrious podcast listeners, who were very much on my side. Will be voting for me in the next podcast referendum. But some other highlights: I thought Matthew Van der Poel's win in uh, Visegrad was astonishing. 
It was great to see Mark Cavendish win again at the Giro after so many years. Biniam Gamay's victory was uh, historic for cycling, not just for the Giro. And then just seeing Old Arnie and Old Arnie doing so well. Been great. Lionel, we're sad to see you go. We're sad to see Tom Dumoulin go as well. We said before the Giro we didn't expect too much from him because we'd got a bit of intel to suggest that his training hadn't gone exactly as Jumbo Visma had planned, exactly as he had planned. And sure enough, he pulled out today complaining that he had no form and couldn't come up with an explanation as to why. This got me thinking of 2017 when he won the Giro, how long ago it now feels, it now seems. Tonight's Giro del Buffalo is dedicated to Tom Dumoulin and that the heady days of 2017 and Bormio, the Stelvio stage when I was wincing and Rich was rejoicing and cherishing a great day at the Giro d'Italia. Il Giro del Buffalo, remembering Rich and more. The bad news is he had to stop. I, I, you've probably heard to go to the toilet before the last descent of the Stelvio. He took all his clothes off and went to the toilet at the side of the road. Did you know anything about his stomach problems? I didn't know. Uh, I heard on the radio uh, something about him stopping. Oh, I can't comment on that. Uh, this morning uh, he didn't mention anything that, that something is wrong with his stomach. But yeah, I think just in the third week the body is uh, pretty much on the limit. 20 second lead is not much, but. Uh, also not nothing. <laughs> Hello, my name's Richard Moore. I'm with Daniel Freib. Where is Lionel? Lionel. Well, after, where are we? where well, is Lionel? Lionel? Lionel's Lionel's home now. Um, one Back of the in Watford. One of the benefits of uh, all the fine dining that you gents did over the last week or so is that. Lionel ended up so large that we were able to roll him home. <laughs> Italy, is, and save, Italy has breathed a huge uh, collective sigh save, of relief. Save a bit of money. The food crisis we, we is over. We just rolled him to the top of the, the Stelvio, and he's halfway to halfway through France now. Should be he's bowling home. Lionel, no, Lionel did a cracking job here in Italy. I've flown back out to take his place for the final week. Uh, we were played in there, and it's it's drama. I mean, you you and Lionel spoke about about nothing. Uh, about little else than food, we're going to turn our attention to what happens to the food once it's passed through the body today. I think this is going to be a scatological episode. We should have, we should have got, you got a sponsor from Andrex or something for this. But we're played in there by Simon Geshka, the uh, Sunweb rider. Daniel is cringing because, as you can probably tell from that exchange, he doesn't like talking about this subject. He gets very squeamish. Disgusting. To refuse to talk about it, usually. <laughs> I didn't know this about you. <laughs> it's fantastic, brilliant. Um, so it's going to be. This is going to be. An even, un- this is going to be an uncomfortable even, episode. Even for you. saying the word toilet was uncomfortable for me. I, I could tell. It was. Yeah. It was. It was an awkward exchange. But uh, you did a great job. You did a couple of other. Spoke to a couple of other people from somewhere about the, the pressing issue of the day. It's amazing we've got so far in this episode of all episodes without me mentioning the opening to a book uh, called Sling the Badger, which. Uh, which oh, which describes yes. a scene not unsimilar to today's in that it involves a a a, a, a call of nature a, a, an emergency uh an emer- a number two emergency well, Rich, you mentioned that this has happened to Tom Dumoulin before it has yeah he's he's had this as well he he dipped into a, a camper car. van on the Tour de France a couple of years ago a few years ago uh, for an emergency call of nature um 
And yeah, Greg LeMond, it happened to him in 1986 in the first week of the Tour de France, or the, just the, about the eighth stage, I think it was. Jan Bacalance apparently has experience of this, I don't know. Amazing it doesn't happen more often, really. I mean, today's stage was, you know, it was uh, six hours, six hours 25, it's a long time to manage your your bodily functions, isn't it? Yeah, sh- anyway, oh should, God, we, should we move on? I've never seen anyone look so uncomfortable. <laughs> should we move on? Well, Daniel, I was at home watching that stage with a gog. I was absolutely a gog at what was happening that day, and then even more a gog at your um, constipated reaction to, <laughs> to Tom de Moulin, <laughs> to Tom de Moulin's roadside rest break. I'll be watching the final week of the Giro at home. I'll be listening to the podcast. I'll be on call. Should you have any difficulties, Brian, you've got my number. Just just any problems, give me a call. You'll be recording all the ads. I'll be be recording all the ads, Daniel. Yes, don't worry. Um, My final assignment at the Giro, other than recording this podcast, was to meet up with Stacey Snyder down at the team buses and distribute some of her beautiful cups because over the last couple of years, well, a couple of cups that she sent out, she'd not managed to get to their recipients. James Knox's cup for being an audio diarist at last year's Welter didn't arrive, so she brought that over from the US and we went around the team buses and handed them out. And one of the cups was intended for Pascal Inkhorn, the Jumbo Visma rider who was in the break yesterday, of course, but he was awarded a cup unilaterally by Stacey because at the Tour of Britain he handed a bid on to a young cyclist who was riding alongside on the pavement and it was one of those little moments where uh, the riders and the public make contact and Stacey found that a very appealing moment and so we went to the Jumbo Visma bus and an extraordinary uh, stroke of luck really because Inkhorn came out of the paddock to see uh, some friends and family and so we were able to present the cup to him personally. This cup was awarded to you as their Pedaler yeah, de Charme Cup. Year, it was awarded to you last from the Tour de Britain. Uh, and uh, it was sent to you twice and returned twice. Yeah, uh, but strange. now I'm handing it to you in Thank person. You. That was really a kind yeah. thing that you did. It would have been yeah, easy you. for you not to do it, but yeah, it, it, yeah. it meant so much to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah even oh, just the people that were watching. Thank it you. really matters. Yeah, it's <laughs> just, you know, it's a small uh, thing. Also like the bottle for the kid, but Right. It means a lot for them. So. Right, but it would have been easy for you not to do it. Yeah, exactly. But, but also when I was younger, when I went to the tour, yeah. it was uh, really nice for me. So, And I like to drink tea, so I can... I also dashed back to the press room to say goodbye to Chiro and give him his Stacey Snyder cup. He was delighted with that. Uh, we'll probably post a picture of that on Instagram a bit later this evening. But we've all got our cups as well, haven't we? So uh, it was lovely to see Stacey. She's come over to see the Giro and, and meet some friends here in Italy. We've gone through two weeks of the Giro and Richard Moore's presence has been with us all the way, as I know it will be with you guys over the last week. But the connection between Stacey Snyder's work and the cycling podcast was very much something that Richard Moore curated. And uh, so we are, well, we're honoured to be able to continue that. But that's it for me, Daniel. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'll meet again, I'm sure, somewhere down the road. Not in Italy, but maybe not in not Watford either. But maybe at the Tour de France. Possibly, you might see I'll me. Stay in touch. You'll, you'll, you'll You've got my number. <laughs> <laughs> at the Tour de France, you sort of wave from a distance, won't you? Yeah. And Brian, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It's a shame it's not been a few days longer, uh, but good luck for the final week, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. It'll be a, it'll be a close one. 
The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burner. Yeah.